Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. As we continue through the book of Revelation, we're going to be looking at the third letter that was written by John under the inspiration of Jesus himself. Uh, He is writing to the church at Pergamum. So if you brought your Bibles, take a moment and look at Revelation chapter 2, and we'll be starting with verse 12. The message to the church in Pergamum, it says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teachings is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating foods offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In similar way, you have some Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears must hear, listen to the Spirit, and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that have has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Let's pray. God, may you honor the reading of your word as we delve into Revelation, Lord. There is so much that you have given us, Lord, and I pray that as we look at all the things that uh, there are many people that have written many books about this. The most important word is what's straight out of your scripture. So may we comprehend that and use that today, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today as we look at the letter, we see that we find a church that's doing their best, their best to remain true to God and a culture that tries to corrupt them at every turn. Satan attempted to kill the church. In our previous letters, we see he attempted to kill the church through persecution and through death. And he still continues to do that today. But that only made the church stronger. I truly believe that if persecution begins to ramp up here, even in America, I really feel like that the church will begin to thrive because all of a sudden it will cost us something to worship. And we will have to decide where our allegiances are. But the thing is, is that although it made the church stronger, the devil changed his tactics. And what he did, Satan began to attack the church from within by influencing some of the members in the church to allow evil to exist in the church, for members to sin and it not be a problem. And he still does that today with two words, or actually one big word, called tolerance. Called tolerance. And there is an answer for tolerance. And that's called repentance. So today, choose which side you're going to be standing on. The message is entitled, The the Use of Tolerance and Repentance. Or, better yet, choose repentance over tolerance. And that's what we as Christians ought to do. 
Billy Graham, you remember Billy Graham, he hasn't been gone all that long and probably one of the the closest things non-Catholics have to the Pope <laughs> is Billy Graham. I mean, he is uh, his ministry, his son and his family continue that on. But Billy Graham said this about tolerance. He said, one one of the pet words of this age is tolerance. It is a good word, but we have tried to stretch it over too far great of an area. He says, we have applied it too often where it does not belong. The world tolerant means liberal and broad-minded. In one sense, it implies a compromise of one's convictions, a yielding of ground upon important issues. We have become tolerant about divorce, the use of alcohol, delinquency, wickedness in high places, immorality, crime, godlessness. And we have been sapped of conviction, drained of our beliefs, and we are bereft of our faith. Jesus plainly pointed out that there are two roads in life. And again, Billy Graham had such a, a great way of getting back to Jesus in every issue. And he said, one is broad, lacking in faith, convictions, and morals. It is easy, popular, in a careless way. Jesus said there are many who go by it, but he pointed out that this road, heavily traveled though it is, leads to destruction. And in living, or in, in loving, compassionate intolerance, in other words, Jesus, in loving intolerance, said, so enter the narrow gate. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. With that said, it sets the stage this morning to take a closer look at the church at Pergamum, which if you were to Google it today is modern day uh, Bergama, B-E-R-G-A-M-A, in the province of Turkey. So what we're studying today is an actual place that you can go to today, and there was a church that was being addressed by Jesus in this. So let's jump in. We've already read the scriptures. The first thing that we see is that you can be right when the whole world around you is wrong. You can be right when the whole world around you is wrong. Again, he says in verse 12, with this letter to the angel of the church of Pergamum, the angel meaning messenger, it was likely a pastor of that church or a leader of that church. It says, this is a message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. The thing is, is that Pergamum was much like our world is today. If you were to take our world and Pergamum and stack them side by side, they would look very similar it was the, the major capital city of the Roman province of Asia Minor for 300 years. And you see that culture and education and religion, all of them, they worshipped. Worship was a big thing to them in Pergamum, but it, they were worshipping the Roman emperor. They were worshipping false Greek gods. There were three temples itself just lined up to have Roman emperor worship. What I want you to see here is that whether you see it or not, we are made to worship. God wires us to worship him. That's why we have our favorite football teams. That's why we have our favorite political parties. That's why we have all of these favorites. And we we buy the T-shirts and we get the bumper stickers and we have the allegiances. And you're either Carolina or Clemson or or whatever. And and look, sports and, and loving your sports teams is all right. And I don't mind that. At all. I mean, I have some favorites myself. 
Then you carry that further, though. Some people believe that the whole world should be Democrat. You have other people say the whole world should be Republican. Some people agree with what's going on. Some people don't agree with what's going on. But everything is dividing us because we are putting men and we are putting things and we are putting our preferences above Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening happening here in Pergamum. And so what you see is, is that we are made to worship. Today, false gods, politicians, celebrities, and athletes, and popular people, everyone wants to be like them. If an athlete releases a shoe, there's a million kids that want to go out and get it, even though it costs their parents' first week wages. It's, it's crazy. I remember years ago, back when I was young once, back when uh, Michael Jordan came out with the first Air Jordans, there were kids getting beat up and killed over those things. And they were getting, they were because their shoes were being taken. And the thing is that we're all made to worship. We all want something, which I find this ironic. Did you know that there's even atheist groups that want to have churches? That to me is ironic because an atheist by nature is someone that doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in established religion, but yet they are fighting to have their own church again. They may not want to worship God. They may not want to worship Jesus Christ. But you cannot deny the fact that we are made to worship. Pergamum placed their faith in the healing of the Greek god Asclepius. Now, hang with me here for a second because we're, getting, we're fixing to get into the deep weeds just for a minute. But I think you're going to get this, okay? Asclepius was the, the main god of, of Pergamum the one that the false god that they worshipped. He was the Greco-Roman god of medicine. And if you know your Greek mythology, he was the son of Apollo. He was the god of healing and of truth and of prophecy. And it was believed that Asclepius became so powerful that he was able to heal all humans, including those that were dying. So because of that, he could bring them back to life after death. So people loved him. And considered him a hero. Folks, quite frankly, he was a Jesus Christ knockoff, is what he was. And we see here that according to myth and legend, Zeus, the ultimate Greek god, was afraid that Asclepius would teach the regular people how to resurrect, so he killed him. That's how threatening this resurrection was, but they still, they still worshipped him. And we still see his mark today. You may have seen it before. Does that look familiar to you? If if you're not able to see this, whether you're watching a podcast or you're watching uh, by way of Facebook Live, it is the sign of the medical symbol. You have a staff with snakes wrapped around it and two wings on top. That is the mark of Asclepius. Let me tell you why. Asclepius was recognized by the symbol of the serpent. He was the god of healing and knowledge, and there was a famous medical school. He had a temple in Pergamum, and there was a medical school within it. Sick and diseased people would flock to this practice that this god had, and the priests of Asclepius would have the services. Now, here's how it went down. They would take you, and they would take you to a room with no light. No light, darkness. And they would put you on a cold marble floor. 
And then, while you're laying there in the dark, on a cold marble floor, the priests would be bring in the tamed snakes. Again, snakes were representative of Asclepius. Do you know this is why they have snakes around the staff on the medical symbol? Because it was believed that these snakes, although they were tame, I don't care if they are tame, whether they are poisonous or non-poisonous, keep them away from me. But they had faith that if they were to go in a, I mean, can you imagine that? It would be torture. A dark room on a cold marble floor, where are the snakes going to flock to? The heat. And where is the heat coming from? Your body. And so what they believed was is that there was some type of healing power that if the snake were to crawl all over you, you would get Asclepius' healing power. For me, I'll just go ahead and take the death. All right? Because I will probably die from anxiety of having being in a dark room and wondering what's crawling all over me. But again... That's what they believed. But if someone expects me to stay on a cold marble floor in the dark, only to release snakes to crawl all over me, they better bring a sword. And that's what Jesus said he's going to bring. Jesus means business because it says in here, the one with the two-edged sword in verse 12. See, there were believers that were taking a strong stand against the evil in Pergamum. Although evil abounded, Satan's throne, the church still remained loyal to Jesus. Because it says in the scripture, if you go back, it says, yet you have remained loyal to me. In other words, Jesus said, look, these people are crazy. They're letting snakes crawl all over them. They're putting their faith in snakes and in Roman leaders, but you are remaining faithful. So this is a good letter so far, right? He, he has really given them a good pat on the back. And then he talks about Antipas. Jesus calls him my faithful witness. The word witness is the same word for the word martyr. Antipas is somebody that died for their faith. The name that he gave to Antipas is witness is the very name that Jesus gave for himself in the first letter. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to give you the same title that he took for himself? Well, the second thing we see is that do not make your environment your excuse. Do not make your environment your excuse. Look, again, it says, Jesus said, you've done all these things. But in verse 14, he says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teachings is like that of Balaam. Y'all remember who Balaam was, don't you? Who showed, he says, Balaam is who showed Balak. How to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols. In other words, they would have sacrifices in the temple. And then they would take the food rather than burning it up or using it for God had told them to do. They would end up selling it like a food truck. And anybody that, you know, all the meat that was used in the temple. The temple became a barbecue shack rather than a place of worship. And God was not having that. So you see, there's compromise. There's compromise in the way they worship. There's compromise in the way that they view sexual sin. And in the same way, he says, the Nicolaitans among you follow the same teaching. So he says, repent of your sin. Look, our environment does make an impact on our lives. But ultimately, our decision to sin is a deliberate choice. 
Look, you can say that my father was this, my mother was that, my friends were this, my friends were that, or this is where I was in my life, this is the place I was at. Look, we can always say that there is a reason why we did something, but ultimately, why do you sin? Why do I sin? Because we choose to. Just because you were raised in a bad environment doesn't mean you are doomed to be in a bad environment. And just because you're raised in a great environment doesn't mean that you're going to end up okay. You have to make decisions. And we see this here that most of the people in Pergamum were making good decisions. But there were some that were making bad decisions. As a church, we see here that we should not be comfortable with these things. Paul said we are in this world, but not of it. We are aliens and strangers here. So what was happening was the church at Pergamum, they weren't, they didn't approve of these things, but the church members that were taking part in these, they didn't do anything to. So my friends, let me tell you, as a church, we should never be comfortable with a redefinition of sexuality and marriage apart from God's word. We should never be comfortable with the slaughtering of innocent lives or the mistreatment of those who are created in the image of God. We shouldn't be okay for racial division. We shouldn't be okay for choosing division over unity. We shouldn't be looking for our salvation from an elected leader when salvation has already been given to the world by the one who puts those leaders in their place. Yes, the environment was difficult for them. But look at Jesus' words. He did not excuse them from his expectation of them living holy lives according to God's word. And Jesus has the same expectation of you and I today. Folks, just because we live in difficult days, it does not mean that we're going to have an excuse or God is going to give us a pass. That's the biggest problem with church in America today. That is, if you take someone who is lost and living for themselves, and you take a Christian and put them side by side in most churches, they are going to look identical except the one that goes to church will know a few more courses and a few more things to say that sound spiritual. That's where we have become in America today. Because everybody is letting things slide. For example, parents oversharing with their children. Now, I can't tell you as a parent because I'm not a parent, but I can tell you as a former youth pastor and a pastor, this is what will happen. If you want to be buddy-buddy with your kids and tell them all the things that you did when you were young as a hopes of getting them not to do it, you have just gave them license to do everything you did and more when they grow up. Because what they tell me is, well, my parents did it so I can do it too. That's what they hear. That's not what you meant, but that's what they hear. And so... You don't want to give children license to do what you did and even more. You're not giving them a pass. And God does not give us a pass, folks. We are going to be judged as individuals and as a church as to what we allow to go on, what we stand up for, and what we back down from. Jesus says, I know you're having it tough. You're in a tough place. But I love you enough to call you out when you are wrong. I don't know about you, but if the doctor's got bad news for me, I wish he'd just go ahead and tell me. So we can at least try to start working on it. And if Jesus has bad news for the church or us as individuals, we ought to welcome it because it's only to make us stronger, purer, and better. 
And so he talked about Balaam. The teachings of Balaam are alive and well today. If you want to go back and read about Balaam, he's found in Numbers chapters 22 to 24 and chapter 31. Jesus wasn't concerned with the fact, by the way, Balaam was the guy that talked to a donkey. And the donkey talked back. He was the first biblical reference of Mr. Ed. But when you go back and you read the story, you see what happened was, was that Balaam was a hired hand. Balak hired Balaam to trap the Israelites by corrupting corrupting them with their worship and corrupting them with their sexual practices. So what do we see? Jesus was calling out the church at Pergamum for their tolerance of sexual immorality and idolatry among some of its members. He says in verse 14, You tolerate some among you whose teachings is like that of Balaam. Now, I'm not saying that we need to come up with a Homeland Park Baptist Church sin police. All right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we all need to have holier-than-thou attitudes because if you're pointing your finger at at one person, you got three pointing back at you. I'm saying we need to be humble and we need to be honest. And then when we see people that are struggling, we call them out in love on that, not so we can make them feel bad, but so that we can help correct them. And it's not going to be if we call somebody out for their behavior, you better make sure this is what's calling them out and not your opinions and not your traditions. We live by God's word, not the way we always used to do it. We live by God's word. And we see that this means Christians at the church of Pergamum were worshiping while still entertaining acts of sexual immorality and idolatry. Look, the, Romans empire, the Roman Empire at that time, the culture makes what we have today here look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It was wicked. It was awful. And anybody could say, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, that may be easy. But it will not be beneficial because we will be judged by God's word. And we see the church will be judged. Check this out. The church will be judged by what it tolerates. The church will be judged by what it tolerates. Because we see, go back and look in your scripture. Verse 14, he says, you tolerate some among you whose teachings is like that of Balaam. Verse 15 You're tolerating what the Nicolaitans have done. Today it might be you are tolerating what the politically correct say. You are tolerating what everybody else is doing. You've got to be careful what you tolerate. Because we will be judged by that. Everyone in the church at Pergamum was not participating in the debauchery. However, they weren't correcting them either. Folks, i got news for you. Just like Pergamum, Satan has infiltrated or infiltrated the church. And Jesus has allowed that. Jesus has allowed Satan to infiltrate the church to test the church. And just because we live in a difficult community, just because we live in a difficult day, just because we don't feel like our politician won, or just because we feel like our politician won, doesn't mean that we get a pass on what God's Word says. The third thing that we see in verse 16 is that Jesus' answer to tolerance and compromise is repentance. 
Jesus' answer to tolerance and compromise is repentance. It says in verse 16, Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of the mouth. Folks, churches and their members must repent. What does repent mean? Repent means to change direction, to quit running to evil and turn around and trust to God. Do you realize that of the seven churches, going back to the number seven, seven is a number of completeness. It is believed that the letters to these seven churches, these seven churches were selected because it encompasses everybody. So in these letters to churches, 71% of them were told to repent. 71%. That's more than a majority. So the truth of the matter is, in churches like ours today, and every other one that's meeting today or online or wherever they're at, there is somebody that needs to repent. That's what he is saying. And he says, repentance is not just for the lost who come to Christ. It is not a a once-in-a-lifetime decision. I hope you don't think that the only time you repented is when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that that was a one-time deal. Oh, I repented. I'm a Christian. I'm good. No, that's not the case. That is not what repentance is for. Repentance is for the daily decisions when we sin, for all of sin, and fall short of the glory of God. Repentance is us as believers saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up God, and I get on my knees, I ask for your forgiveness, and I repent of that. Because if... A believer is a moment-by-moment decision. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. The Bible has a big word for this, and it's called sanctification. Sanctify means to sanctus, to, to make holy. For us to become more like Jesus requires sanctification. And my friend, if you have not repented recently, either you are perfect or you are totally numb to what God wants you to do in your spiritual life. We all need to repent. And I'm looking at myself when I say that. But we will be judged by God's word. Check out verse 16 again. Or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of Jesus' mouth is this word. At the end of the day, our church and our lives will be judged by this. Let's say you go out and you buy some expensive new iPhone or some expensive new computer and you you do all of these things and you sign the contracts and you sign your life away to pay way too much money for something you only use for a little while. I'm talking to myself. But you go there and you say, okay, here's all the things. You get out the door in the parking lot, you drop the phone, and it cracks. It's happened before, I'm sure. And you take the phone back in. It's like it's not like McDonald's where they say, "Oh, I'll just make you another hamburger." It's not like, "Oh, you broke that one. Let me just go get you another iPhone. We'll we'll take care of that." Oh no, Jack. They will show you the contract and show you where it states that you are not covered for accidental drops, or if you are covered for accidental drops, you have to pay an exorbitant amount to get it replaced. It's in the contract. You signed it. 
And you are bound to it. You take it to court. You have it arbitrated. You will be bound to what you sign. My friend, you are bound to what God has put in this world. Regardless of what this world says. Regardless of your political bent. Regardless of your social justice reform. Regardless of your opinion on what sex is or what sex is not. Or what marriage is or what marriage is not. It is in this word. It is the truth. It is the sword of God. The sword of His mouth. And we will be judged by it at the end of the day. Not my word, Jesus' word. Read it for yourself. I am not afraid to speak on the authority of the word of God because they can crucify me, they can kill me, they can shut me up, they can take away whatever they want, but this Bible will remain. And I don't say this as some kind of angry person that wants to cut down everybody with the Word of God. But what I'm saying is, is that if you would simply look at what it says, evaluate in your life where you're falling short, and repent of that, He will forgive you. As a matter of fact, He died so that He could do it. So that we could be more like what Jesus wants for us. The word of the Lord you ignore today will be the word that judges you at the end of your life. So make corrections before it is too late. Finally, in verse 17, tolerance and compromise today will be your downfall in eternity. Look at what verse 17 says. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Again, look, this is not written to lost people. This is written to the good old church folks. This is written to the sweet old ladies that make the the cakes for the bake sale. This is made to the youth that go on their trips and have fun. This is made for the choir. This is made for the preacher. This is made for the deacon. This is for people in the church, for people that claim to know Christ. And he says, again, anyone with ears, listen, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna, which is another word for spiritual nourishment, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. Isn't it great to know that you as a believer have Manna, spiritual nourishment just waiting for you in the closet of your mansion, wherever that may be in heaven. I don't know about you, but if I'm going somewhere and uh, we uh, we tried this Airbnb, I'll get it out in a minute, Airbnb thing. You know what that is? Basically people putting up a couple walls in their house, putting some carpet down and saying, hey, come stay with us and make some money. And so I'll never forget. The first one we went to, we found one that was dog friendly. You know, we got to get the dog taken care of. I wish I had his life. So we're going on a family vacation, Donna, myself, and the dog. And so we go to this place, and we are so excited, not for the location, because the location is awesome, not for the decorations, because the decoration is awesome. What we were excited for is knowing that there was a shelf with some artwork and about four or five little jars of dog treats for the dog. So we were excited that we knew something was waiting for us so we could spoil our dog even some more. Not that he needs that. But we were excited because we knew that was waiting on us. And my friend, this spiritual manna, this nourishment that Jesus is talking about in this passage is so much greater to know that as good as you can get it here, it's going to get better and there is something waiting for you. So we just need to make sure 
that we prepare ourselves for that trip. You see, God is saying to the church to stop conceding to these sinful ways before they keep you from something much better that I want to give to you. The manna that God has hidden away in heaven that we will enjoy enjoy one day is so much better than we could get in the world right now. But the truth is, some think it's not worth the wait. In conclusion, I would say make your reservation for heaven and prepare for it. Again, let's talk about this white stone for a minute. I didn't know a lot about this white stone. It says, and I will give to each one of you a white stone, and on the stone will be in a grave the new name that no one understands except who receives it. Here's the thing about the white stone. Back in the day when this was written, it could have meant one of three things, or maybe all three things. But the first thing is a white stone, if someone went to trial and they were acquitted, they were set free, they would get a white stone that commemorated that. Say, hey, weren't you in jail? Nope, here's my white stone. Here's my get-out-of-jail card, I guess. And if you were convicted, you got a black stone. All right? That's one thing. The second thing is that sometimes the white stone would be seen as like an invitation. They would send out invitations to weddings and parties and all that kind of stuff. Let me see your, your white stone. You would show the white stone, and they would let you in. And then you have... The third one, which a white stone was much like a, a badge of friendship. Much like a, uh, you remember those necklaces, I, they called them what, mizpahs, is that it? Where you'd have a necklace that was like two, it was half of a necklace, you'd give your friend one, and then when you put it together, it would be like together. Y'all would look at me like I'm crazy. Well, I've seen them before. Anyway, it was a friendship badge. So if you look at it this way, the white stone that Jesus is talking about, it means that you are no longer condemned. You are free. You are not charged. You are free by the blood of Jesus Christ. It means that you have been invited to the wedding invitation. You have been invited to the wedding. You have been invited to the feast. That when you breathe your last breath here, your next breath will be at the feast table of Jesus Christ. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And it also means that you have a relationship with Jesus. God has a white stone in heaven with your name on it. And notice it says there, inscribed on that stone is a name that is only known for you. I don't know about you, but when I go to receptions after weddings and stuff like that, it sure is nice when you look on the table and you see your name on there. You don't have to look around and say, oh, I wonder where I'm sitting. I hope I don't take somebody's seat. I don't want to sit next to them. And all those other things that go through your mind. No, you've got your name and you sit down where your name is at. And the thing is, is that this name on this white stone is unlike any others. And it is only made for you. Folks, your place in heaven is made just for you. There is spiritual nourishment awaiting you. You have a reservation there. And if you have a reservation we prepare ourselves to meet that reservation. You have been acquitted and found not guilty. You're invited to join Jesus and his Father for eternity. And Jesus has a special name for you today. So my friend, stop your compromise. Repent and return to God. And know the truth of this scripture as Jesus has wrote it to Pergamum. Let's pray.
God, I thank you so much for your word today. And folks, we all could learn a lot from this scripture of even as a church not being known as so tolerant that we don't have any kind of convictions, Lord. We need to preach the word and let the word convict and let the word love and let the word heal and let the word tell where people is wrong. Your spirit can do that. And all the while we will love people and share you to anybody that you give us an opportunity to. This is not a message of hate. This is not a message of division. This is a message of proclaiming your word and believing that one day we will give an account for what we do and do not do for you and your kingdom. So, Lord, if there's anyone in here today that needs to repent, if there's anyone here today that needs to ask for forgiveness, may today be the day where they get down beside their bed on their knees and repent or in their closet or in their car or if they want to come and talk with me or a deacon or a Bible study teacher, they can do that today if they want help, but just to repent and return to you. Folks, we do not need to be about compromise as a church. We're not going to be known for what we do. We're going to be known for what we allow. And so, Lord, help us to be laser focused that everything is off the table and gospel is the only thing that we proclaim. We love you, Jesus. And if there's someone that needs to make a decision today, may they not leave before they make that known. We love you. We give this time to you.